Judge not that you may not be judged, for with the same judgment that you judge, you will be judged. And with the same measure, it will be measured to you again. That's just a portion of Matthew 7. In total, it consists of just about 100 words. Emmett Fox describes these 100 words as the most staggering document ever presented to humankind, which is a pretty staggering statement. Contained in these 100 words, he says, the nature of humanity, the meaning of life, the importance of conduct, the art of living, the secret of happiness and success, the way out of trouble, the approach to God, there's more, <laughs> the emancipation of the soul, and the salvation of the world. If we understood for a moment the meaning of these words, judge not, and believed them, these words would immediately revolutionize our lives, changing how we show up in the world, thereby giving life to the words that we say on Sunday that Nancy just said this morning. All we ask is that you stay open to the possibility of changing your entire life simply by changing your mind. And that's how we change the planet, just like that. So this morning, we are finishing up a series of talks based on this book, Emmett Fox's take on Jesus, the Master Teacher's Sermon on the Mount, which is said to be the longest teaching of Jesus and perhaps the most often quoted. And it appears, as I referred to before, in the book of Matthew, the first book to appear in the New Testament. And Jesus covers a lot of ground in the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, Jesus, the master teacher, spoke in metaphor and parable and stories. Much of what we can read, regardless of the version, is not literal. It is not to be taken literally. For example, when he addresses the subject of adultery, he talks about vision. And if your vision is pulling you to commit adultery, that you should remove your eye. I don't believe that he meant that literally. I don't think he was talking surgery. <laughs> I think what he means, and I'm not the only one that thinks this, is that we need to adjust our vision, raise our attention to the truth, change the focus of what we are looking at, that sort of thing. I do not believe that he was suggesting that we start removing offending body parts. Although in some cultures I know that that is done, but I don't think that's what he was talking about. His teachings are timeless, and there is an overall atmosphere in what is written about what he taught that speaks to one God, one beingness, one creator, that he often referred to apparently as Father or Papa, he talked about the idea that that one exists in as all of us, that love is the only power. And these concepts will sound familiar to those of you who have taken classes in this philosophy that we call science of mind. And we in science of mind typically do not involve ourselves in the investigation and or debate about the literal meaning of everything. 
We don't involve ourselves in what may or may not precisely have happened on what exact day. Um, we don't involve ourselves on following rules and regulations for rules and regulations sake or for any sake at all for that matter. Um, that isn't what he was teaching. What he was teaching is that there is only one power that not only is available to each one of us, it is residing in and as each one of us. And in his time, this was a very radical teaching. And it went against everything that was commonly thought in those days. Because in those days, it was proposed, it was said, it was stated, it was law that God existed only in and as certain people, which coincidentally were the ones in power, and that there were certain things that we common folk had to do in order to access God and so on. And what Jesus, the master teacher, told people was that that was a bunch of crap, that that wasn't true. That in truth, in fact, this one is in through and as every single one of us, that there is no more God in one person than there is in somebody else. And he was trying to tell us that the universe, life, works with certain laws or principles. And what we mean by that is that there are certain things that are the truth no matter when or who or what. An example of that would be the law of gravity, for instance. Um, gravity doesn't investigate to see who you are, where you are, what you've done, what you haven't done, how much money you have, what you look like, what color you are, in order to keep you from falling off the planet. It just operates like that. That's what it does. And so Jesus, the master teacher, was telling us that there are a set of laws that operate the universe and that they're equal opportunity that they work for everybody all the time. And that we need to keep our minds and our hearts clear and our thoughts aligned with the truth in order to live lives of joy and love and fulfillment. He was teaching us the rules of engagement for being on the planet, I think. Okay, so this week we're looking at judgment. Sorry, but we are. It's judgment. Judgment. There's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of stuff in judgment. This involves cosmic laws like laws of reciprocity, the law of cause and effect, the law of retribution and karma. It's about the golden rule, do unto others as we would have them do unto us. What we put out, what we get back, what we focus on, we get more of. You get the idea. And it's also about discernment. And judgment and discernment, I like to define them this way. Judgment is looking at something or someone and deciding that it's good or bad. Discernment is looking at something or someone and deciding it might not be for you and or you may not be doing lunch anytime soon. <laughs> and a more formal definition, and I found this was very interesting. I knew it, but it just struck me somehow. Judgment, an opinion or conclusion, well, conclusion also means the end. You're done. Discernment is about perception, recognition or distinguishing between one thing 
and another. So it would be about, for instance, I'm sure some of you have noticed my fabulous fashion statement I got going on here today. Um, discernment would be noticing that I have a boot on one leg, and this leg has a tennis shoe, fabulous tennis shoe, by the way. It's my dress <laughs> tennis shoe. And see, that was, that was judgment. That's fabulous. I'm just saying. That kind of thing. Or noticing the difference. And for me, it's important to notice the difference because when I first got this thing on a few weeks ago, I remember walking out of the rebound office, where the blazers go, by the way, walk, <laughs> walking out of there, and I had trouble walking. I felt like I was walking on an oar of some kind. It was just trippy. It was literally, and they're saying, oh, yeah, you'll get used to it. So I went home, and some of you know I live in a multi-level house, and I kind of forgot at first, and I was moving at my sometimes still warp speed, and I almost went down the stairs. I almost stacked. Um, because so now discernment. I have to remember that I have this thing on and learn how to walk, you know, and so on. So that is judgment versus discernment. And last week, Larry was talking about evil or wrong thinking and about turning the other cheek when we judge or discern that we've been treated poorly, badly. And I'm sitting there and thinking, well, it's pretty hard to let go, to turn the other cheek, if I have formed an opinion and I'm sticking to it. If I have concluded that I am right and you are wrong, what you did was wrong. So most of the time, and I'm hoping to God it's not just me, if there is judgment involved, I am not letting go of anything. Absolutely nothing. In fact, I'm hanging on because I'm invested because it's important, because I have concluded that I am right and that you are wrong, that what you did was wrong. This is right and that is wrong. So I am invested. I am both a judge and the jury and I am done. And so then I was thinking about this and I realized that at any time when I do that, I'm literally closed off. I am closed off. Nothing is getting in whatsoever. Nothing. So then I'm not feeling the unity of all life. I'm not feeling the oneness. I'm not feeling the love. I'm not feeling anything at all. I'm thinking. And what I'm thinking is I'm right. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. And probably if I'm right, then something has to be wrong. And it might be you. And so I have removed myself from the circulation of life, from the love that is life, from the oneness, the unity that is life. I have removed myself from what Linda did just brilliantly, and most of you missed it, and I'm sorry that you did. She sang, You Are the Face of God to us this morning. She sang us a love song. And by the time she got up here, you could just feel the entire room. And I will tell you what, there was no judgment in that room at all. It was completely open. When we're in judgment, we do not feel any of that at all. We remove ourselves from that circulation of life and love. 
and we go into our own little world. And it's a very tiny, well-constructed world where I know where everything is and I'm right. <laughs> and not only is that just unadulterated garbage, but it's not my job. It's not my assignment. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to love. I'm here to express the love of God, and so are you. Every single one of us, that's why we're here. I am not Judge Judy, and neither are you. So judge not. The law says that as I am judging, I am being judged, and my observation is that I am now able to play both parts. I can observe that I'm judging, and then I can judge myself for judging. So the fact that you might judge me for judging is extraneous. <laughs> it's just a bonus. <laughs> and just a side note, when we first start in this study, typically most of us start looking at our self-talk, which is, you know, those, that stuff that runs all the time, left uninterrupted, just runs all the time on autopilot. Here's what. I would say that 99.999% of that is all judgment, all the time. And left unchecked, it just runs in there all the time. And the law says that the more time I spend in judgment, the more I cut myself off from the beauty and the unity and the love of life itself, love of the universe. My vision becomes one-pointed, and my heart is closed. Judgment does that. And this doesn't necessarily mean that I abdicate discernment, although I'm looking at that too. I am mindful of my physical surroundings. I'm mindful of going down the stairs with the boot on. I'm not going to go step off a 1,200-foot cliff or something like that. Not yet, anyway. Physical laws aside, I discern, I figure out what seems to work for me. And now I'm beginning to look at the reasons why I have reached that conclusion, why I have discerned that. And maybe, uh, is, that, is that still true? Or am I doing discernment even out of habit? So I'm looking at that too. So I check that out, and I refuse to lock myself into right-wrong. And I'm not going to lock you in there either, because here's what. If I lock you in there, I'm a prisoner as well. And so now we're all hanging out in the house of judgment. And when Jesus, the master teacher, said, judge not, he was not giving us a rule to follow just to follow a rule. He wasn't giving us rules to follow so that when we died, we would go to some geographical <laughs> location somewhere. That's not what he was doing. He was teaching us about the law, and always about love, about the law. He was telling us how things work. He was telling us that if we do that, if we are judging, that we're going to see it again because we're going to get it back. He was teaching us the law of cause and effect. He was teaching us about karma, that what we put out is going to come back. It might not come back immediately. It might not come back from the same person that I gave it to. It's coming back because that's the way it works. So now let's talk about the golden rule. The golden rule, which is 
lately seemed a little bit manipulative to me because it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which sounds like you've got a motive there. <laughs> but if you flip it around, and not that there's anything wrong with you know, doing unto others, if you flip it, it's done unto you as you do unto others. So what you put out is coming back. And you'll see it again. And again. And yet again. As long as we keep doing it, we're going to keep getting it. That's the way it works. See, we live and move and have our being. We create our lives with our own atmosphere of our thoughts and our beliefs. We have a mental construct so that wherever we are, there we are. Which is why it's just so sad sometimes when I'm sitting with someone in a counseling session and they say they're going to move from Portland to San Francisco because their life is such a chocolate mess and I have to say, well, you might be taking the chocolate mess with you. Because geographical location is not the deal. It's not about geography. It's about landscape, but it's about our internal landscape. It's about what's going on in here. And I can tell you from personal experience that an internal landscape of judgment really sucks. <laughs> it sucks, and it's exhausting. It's a full-time job, really. It's a full-time job. And to the extent that we form an opinion, a conclusion, a judgment, we are not receptive anymore. We're not open, we're closed. So we can't align ourselves with the truth of who and what we are because we've got it all figured out. We've concluded that we know and that we're right, so we're closed. So we filled ourselves up literally with our own ego, with our own press, with our own stuff. And we have made ourselves small. And much of the time I have observed it starts with something absolutely ridiculous. I have observed this in myself, and I observed it last week because in our Power of Your Word class, and I asked her permission first, one of the students in the class was sharing that she had noticed she was really invested now in observing her thoughts, and she noticed that an awful lot of them were judgmental. And some of them were just goofy. And she shared with us one of them, she takes a water aerobics class, and she was in the pool. And she looks over, and she noticed that the person next to her, the woman next to her, had a swimming suit on, and one of the straps was all twisted up and stuff. And she said, she was like, well, will you look at that? What is she thinking? Why is she standing there with her strap all stupid? Why doesn't she fix that? Why doesn't she fix that? And we all started laughing because it was familiar. Because don't, God, I'm not the only one I, I, you know, sometimes it's just the dumbest stuff. It's like, who cares? You know, who cares? It's a swimsuit strap. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've done, I confess, I've done that. You look at somebody, for God's sake, did she look in the mirror before she left the house? What the heck? What is she wearing? You know, look at her hair. This is relevant How? Not to mention it's just crappy behavior, but I mean, it, it's like, really? Anyway, so 
A few weeks ago, Larry, when he opened up this Sermon on the Mount topic, talking about the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are I hope. Has anyone here seen Monty Python's Life of Brian? Oh, my word. Because my husband was talking about that, and the first week I read the Beatitudes, and I was like, please don't let me see Blessed Are the Cheesemakers. Please don't let me say that. <laughs> I didn't. <clears throat> and even, even there, they said, well, it's not to be taken literally. It could be any dairy product. But, but anyway, blessed. He talked about the words, Larry did, that were used in that, such as meek and the different definitions than perhaps what we were, and this has a relationship to what I'm talking about, I swear. We might think of it as, as different than that, and he was going through just a few of the words and the meanings, and it came to me that every single one of them were about the same thing. They were about receptivity. They were about being open. Meek, for instance. Meek doesn't mean gutless. It doesn't mean mamby-pamby. It doesn't mean mean. It doesn't mean that. It's about humility. Meek is about humility. It's the opposite of prideful or willful. It's about being open. It's about being less invested in our own egos, our own stuff, and more invested in remaining open-hearted and open-minded, which for most of us takes practice. Receptivity. So there's no obstruction. There is no obstruction to the love and the good flowing to or from me in the absence of judgment. Then I had a, just a crazy, irrational thought in my judgment. What if we didn't even have discernment either in some cases? What if we just became a observer without needing to pass judgment on anything or anyone whatsoever? What if we just noticed without any investment? Imagine that. Because it's in the absence of playing judge and jury that we can create in our own hearts an atmosphere of humility and openness and receptivity. And then we're able to recognize our own humanity. And then we can rise to our own divinity. And then we can see that in everybody else. We can see that in everybody else. And really, isn't judgment the height of arrogance? I mean, isn't it the height of arrogance to think that I know what's best, I know what's right? And it can also be a great distraction. Because when I'm focused on what's going on with you and deciding how you're doing, then I'm not focused on my own stuff at all. So I'm not in here, I'm out there. And life is an inside job. Do you know what I mean by that? Life is an inside job. What goes on in here affects how I show up out here. So I need to be spending my time in here, not out there. Because I believe the quality of our lives is directly proportional to how much of my own work I'm doing, which I'm definitely not doing if I'm out there doing yours. And most of the judging, again, is silly stuff. A swimsuit strap? Really? A swimsuit strap? An outfit somebody else is wearing? I mean, really? It just, and I've done it. I've done it a million times. I did it yesterday morning. 
it wasn't a swimsuit strap, but I'm sitting at an intersection in my car in Sandy at the light, and I see someone, I see a car going through the yellow, or the red light. The, right, the light was red. I'm sitting there, and I noticed that this vehicle went against the light, which is discernment. I proceeded quickly to decide that whoever did that was a major jerk. <laughs> That's not really what I said. <laughs> and then I noticed that I said that to myself. And then I thought, well, that's a really crappy thing to say. So then I got a two for one. <laughs> I judged him, then I judged me for judging him or her. But I'm sitting there watching myself, and it's like, who put me in charge? I mean, who put me in charge? And did you all know that I'm in charge? Do you care? I mean, it just, it was, yeah. Our founder, Ernest Holmes, said that no one can be happy living in a continuous state of condemnation of people, conditions, and things. He said, we must learn to praise rather than condemn. One opens the heart, another one closes it. Judgment keeps us locked in and locked out. It keeps us locked in with our need to be right, and it keeps us locked out of our own hearts. Judgment keeps us separate. Therefore, judgment is a lie. It's a lie. The art of living. Imagine if we all suspended judgment for one day. And that came tumbling out on the page and went, <gasps> one a whole day? So then it's like, okay, how about an hour? How about we start with just an hour a day? And just saying that, I noticed that my breathing changed. Just imagine if I could suspend judgment for a whole hour. For a whole hour. Judge not. Just two words. It's two words, and they're really, really big words. The meaning of life the secret of happiness and success, the emancipation of the soul. No judgment going out and no judgment coming in. I'm going to close with a reading from our founder, Ernest Holmes, from Science of Mind textbook. We call it the textbook. I see through all physical and mental obstructions to the one perfect presence within me. I see through all apparent contradictions to the one perfect being in every person. I see through all confusion to the one divine presence at the center of everything and everyone. Let us pray. And so in this moment of remembering, I'm remembering that there's only one there's only one thing going on here, there, and everywhere. It's God. And it's perfect. It is perfect love. And it expresses itself in, through, and as all of its creation. So I know that that means me. 
I know that in my own humanity, regardless of what I think, say, or do, whatever decision I may have made, whatever judgment I might be living with at any given second, I cannot alter the truth of me, which is God. Always has been, always will be, is now. And because I know this for myself, I know it for everyone here, indeed everyone on the planet who has ever lived or will ever live. All expressions of the divine. The perfection, the love that creates planets and galaxies, creates us, sustains us, is the truth of every single one of us. So that there is nothing broken, nothing missing in any of us. The truth of us, always, the love that is God. And so I speak this word of willingness, of receptivity, affirming a willingness on the part of everyone in this room to remember what is already known somewhere, somewhen in us, the truth of who and what we are. I affirm our willingness to remember that, to see that, to experience that in ourselves and be willing to see it in others so that we echo this principle, this activity of love in, through, and as everything that we think, say, and do. And we change everything around us or go back to the truth of everything around us. And so in gratitude, in knowing that God is all there is, love is all there is, here, now, in, through, and as us, I release this word knowing it's done, it's the truth. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you. Thank you.